Amen. The night Jesus celebrated the final Passover meal with his disciples, he shared a special time of teaching with them. In that time of special teaching, he shared with them 10 amazing promises. Look at these promises that Jesus shared with them. In John 16, 16, he said, I will send you the comforter. He said that also in John chapter 14, verse 16. He said, I will pray the Father and he will send you another comforter, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. In John chapter 14, verse 21, chapter 15, verse 9, chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus and the Father's love is unfailing. Their love is unfailing. And then in John chapter 14, verse 26, in John chapter 16, verses 13 to 15, the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. Holy Spirit will be our teacher. He not only is our comforter, he's our teacher. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus promised that he would give us peace and that his peace would abide in us. In John chapter 15, verses 5 to 8, Jesus will enable us to live a bountiful and abundant life. And, and that's in keeping with what he promised in John 10, 10, that they might have life and that they'd have it more abundantly. In John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, again in John 15, verse 7, and in chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, Jesus promised that he would answer our prayers. If you ask anything in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In John chapter 15, verse 11, that we would have the source of joy, that he would give us joy. These things I've spoken unto you, that your joy may be full. And then in John chapter 15, 18 to 25, and in John 16, 33, we will experience persecution for our faith. When we really live for Jesus, there are going to be those that will persecute us. There'll be those that hate us. He said, if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. But that's okay. That's okay. That's not something to be fearful of or to worry about or to have anxiety over because Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've overcome the world and you will overcome the world. Man, what wonderful promises that Jesus has given to us about our life. But we have to ask a very important question. If these are given to us, and they are, this entire teaching, John 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, is Jesus teaching us how we can live this kind of a life. But how do we access that, and how does it become reality in our life on a daily basis? We have to ask ourselves that very important question, and Jesus here in this teaching said there are two things that will make this a living reality in our life. The first, he said, was because of our solidarity 
with Jesus and with Heavenly Father. Our solidarity with Jesus Christ and with Heavenly Father. Then the second thing that he said is going to make this a reality is because he's going to pray to the Father and the Father is going to send us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will live in our life. He will take up dwelling in our life. What the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at court said, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so Holy Spirit living in us and the fact that we are in solidarity with Jesus Christ and the Father, those two things make it possible for us to live this in reality. And we're going to discover over the next couple of weeks how these two things our reality in our life and how we can live our life out of these two principles and that they're more than just principles that we need to have head knowledge, but they are principles that God wants us to have as personal experiences in our life, that we're living in them every single day. We're going to look at the first one today, the, policy, the, the principle of solidarity. Well, what is solidarity? I mean, what, what does that mean? Well, it means unity or agreement of feeling or action, especially among people that have a common interest or a common purpose. It means mutual support uh, inside a group, okay? Merriam-Webster Dictionary says it this way, unity as of a group or a class that produces or is based on community of interests, objectives, and standards. Now, we get a little clearer understanding of the deeper meaning of solidarity when we look at the etymology of the word. And the etymology of solidarity comes out of both the French language and Latin. Let's look at that. Our English word solidarity is a derivative of the French word solidarité. Solidarity. And solidarity is from the root word solidaire the French word solidaire. But the French word solidaire is derived from the Latin word solidum. Now, two words. That's a, it's a, it's a compound word. Some, meaning the whole, but also from the word solidus, which means solid, solid. And so when you, when you take the word solidarity and you understand the depth of its meaning, it is more than just a group of people agreeing on something. It's more than just a group of people agreeing on something, but it is that unity that makes a whole. It makes something solid, something secure. It is a unity that makes a whole and makes it solid, makes it secure. 
Now, when we think about the word solidarity, today it is almost exclusively used in the sense of a resistance or a rebellion or a, uh, uh, a group of people that, that, are, that are protesting against. In fact, it's interesting, when, and I did this, when you go to Google and you look up solidarity, it is almost exclusively in connection with some sort of a revolutionary move, whether it's political or whether it is inside the business community, uh, but it's almost exclusively used in the sense of being revolutionary. But how did Jesus use the concept of solidarity? How did Jesus teach this concept of unity that brings strength and solidity into the whole. How did, how did he describe it? Well, to understand the biblical concept of solidarity, we have to go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, the book of beginnings, and to the very first chapter, verse 26, when God said, let us make man in our own image, the the solidarity of the Trinity, the unity, the oneness, the whole, the completeness, the strength and and the, the solidity of the Trinity. God is saying, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our own image. This is seen further When you go to the gospel of St. John chapter 5, and Jesus Jesus has been confronted for healing a man, and in that confrontation uh, for healing the man, they're they're wondering by, by what authority and what power Jesus is doing this miracle of healing this man, and Jesus answered in a very interesting way, and it's found in verses 19 and 20, and then again in verse 30. And this is how Jesus said it. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. The son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. The son also does in like manner. He went on to say, for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Look at verse 30. This is powerful. Jesus said, I can of myself do nothing As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus is in complete solidarity with the Father, and they work together in tandem. He says, I don't do anything on my own. We do this together. I only do what I see my Father doing. We do this together. We work in harmony together. 
Now later in John chapter 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being our teacher and our guide into all truth. And he says, but he's not going to speak of his own. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak to you the things that I'm saying. So you see this solidarity in that trinity, in that trinity. The Father and I are one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God, eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they work in harmony. They work in harmony. That's why Jesus said here in John chapter 14, and you see it on the screen right now, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works themselves. Look what he's saying. The Father's working in me and through me. The words that I'm speaking to you is from the Father. And then Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, the words that he speaks are going to be the words that I speak. And the words that I speak are the words that Father speaks. There is this solidarity, this strength. And then look what he says. A little while longer and the world sees me no more. But ye see me. Because I live, you live also. In that day ye will know that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and I in you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm bringing this solidarity that I have with Father and Holy Spirit. I'm bringing it to you in your life. Look what he said further in in chapter 15, because Jesus went on to talk about this in the very next chapter. <clears throat> Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abides in me, I in him, will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Goes on to say, as the fathers loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. The solidarity, that strength, that strength, that unity that makes whole and brings solidity and brings strength. That's what Jesus wants to bring into your life. No wonder he said to them, 
I've spoken these things to you that you would not stumble. Now, he said that right after he had said to them, in this world, you're going to have persecution. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And I've spoke these things to you that you would not stumble. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to have this strength in your life. I want you to have this stability in your life. And that's going to come because you're in solidarity with me. Just as I am with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now I'm going to be in you, Holy Spirit's going to be in you, and there's going to be this strength and that solidarity. So what makes all this possible? I mean, how is it possible that Jesus comes and lives in our life? It flows out of the fact that Jesus Christ is God who became a man. Going all the way back when the angel Gabriel came to Mary in Nazareth and said to her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and that thing that's going to be in you will be the Son of God. And it is this whole thing that Jesus Christ, Almighty God, became human. Jesus became a human being so that he could identify and become one with us. Now, here's the curious thing. There are those who teach, based on Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus Christ laid aside his deity and he was human. But that's not what it says in Philippians chapter 2. He didn't lay aside his deity. He he denied himself the rights and the privileges of his deity. But he did not not lay aside his deity. He was 100% man. He was 100% God. And though he lay aside the rights and the privileges and the power that he had as deity, he was not denying his deity. It's kind of like this. When my kids were little, I used to wrestle them, especially with my son. He loved to wrestle with me. And I would let him win. It wasn't that I was laying aside my adulthood and the power and the strength that I had of my adulthood. I was simply laying it aside and not exercising the full strength that I had as an adult and would let my son win. And that is exactly what Jesus did because Scripture says in Colossians chapter 2, 9, and 10, in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and we are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Did you see that? Jesus Christ was 100% God, 100% man, and because he became a man, he became a human being, he made it possible to become one with us so we could be made complete in him. Now, how was that? How did that work? It is because when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, he was taking our place in the penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so Jesus Christ, when he was hanging on the cross, 
It says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to our own way, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Almighty God took your sin, my sin, and placed them on Jesus Christ while he was hanging on the cross. And so it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him to be sin for us. Him who knew no sin was made sin for us. He took our sin upon him, and he paid the penalty for our sin, dying in our place. And then in Romans chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, it tells us that when Jesus Christ was buried in the grave, our life of sin was buried in the grave with him to live no more. Our life of sin was buried with him in the grave to live no more. Then when he walked out of that grave, he walked out in newness of life. You and I walked out in newness of life with him. And so now you and I can be one with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17-19. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Listen, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself in Jesus Christ. And it's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ. See, there we are again. He was 100% God, 100% man. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing our trespasses, and had committed to us the word of reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 4. Excuse me, chapter 1, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of children. In Christ Jesus, according to the good pleasure of his will, having made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. Look what God is doing. We were one in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. He took our sin upon himself. We were one with him in his death on the cross. We were one with him in his burial in the grave. Our life of sin was buried with him. We were one with him when he walked out of that grave and we walked out with him in newness of life. And when we will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as our Lord and Savior and ask him to forgive us of our sin and come live in us, we become one with him. He comes and he lives in us and we become one with him. And he is in us and we are in him. Wow, that solidarity. That solidarity. So how does this become reality in you in your daily experience? Well, 
It won't become reality in you if you have not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It has to become more than just head knowledge. Some people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And what they're saying is, yeah, I've read the Bible, and yeah, I believe that stuff, yeah. And it's just head knowledge. There are others who say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and it's because somewhere at some point they reached a crisis in their life, and they had what's often called a foxhole conversion. At that moment, oh, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll serve you, I'll love you, and I'll serve you. And they get out of the situation. They just continue on living their life. And yet they'll look back to that point and say, well, yeah, I've received Jesus. No, they, 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 that's just, they've had a mental ascent that, yeah, I believe that. Or they've had this, this momentary, this momentary uh, catharsis of some kind for a moment, but they're not living it. They're not walking in it. The only way you become one with Jesus Christ it's when you move it from mere mental ascent and you move it from just a momentary catharsis experience and you give your life to Jesus Christ and you ask him to come live in you and become the one that's in charge of your life now and you're going to live in him and through him. And he becomes reality in you. See, there's, there's a wonderful thing about the Christian faith. Every major doctrine of the Christian faith is to be experiential. You experience it in your life. So when we say, I believe in the Trinity, well, that's not just intellectual knowledge. I believe in the Trinity and I've experienced it. I've experienced Father's love. I've experienced Jesus Christ's work in my life. And Holy Spirit lives in me and is daily influencing my life. The Trinity, it's experiential. God wants that for you. He, he wants the reality of these promises that we looked at in John 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, to become reality in you. And the only way they can become reality in you is you have to, in reality, authentically experience new life in Jesus Christ and begin living your life in him daily. Second thing is you've got to embrace your new identity. <clears throat> There's that old song, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I like to think of it this way. I was a sinner, but now I'm saved by grace. Because Scripture says, I come to Jesus a sinner, but once I've received Jesus Christ into my life, he makes me a new creation. Old things have passed away. They don't exist anymore. And behold, all things are new, and all things are of God. So I have a whole new identity. And that's what he's talking about in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, when he says this, he said, uh, uh, not only that, but reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He wants us to have this whole new identity. 
Now, it's interesting because that same word that is translated there in Romans 6.11 in English, reckon, is only found in one other place in the New Testament. Here in Romans 6.11, but also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, when it said, Do with the God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses, and imputing is the same Greek word translated reckon in Romans 6.11. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, it's the word imputing, but it's in the negative, not imputing. And the Greek word is an accountant's term, and it means to put to the account. It means to put to the account. And what it literally is saying is this. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, God is not putting to your account your sins. But in Romans 6.11, it says, you put to your account that you are dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's used both positively and negatively. And when you look at these two passages, it's important to not only know it can be used positively and negatively, but we need to understand who's doing the action. Who's doing the action? In 2 Corinthians 5, it's God. God is saying, I am no longer putting to your account your sins. Why not? Because of the covenant I've made with them. He said, I will make this covenant with them. I'll I will remember their sin no more. To which, and this is so beautiful. Because when he says, after this, says the Lord, I am making a covenant with them that their sin and iniquity I will remember no more. God is wiping away the record. Psalm 103, that he removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Romans chapter 5, when he says, we're justified by faith. <clears throat> to be justified means to be just as if we had never sinned. When we receive Jesus Christ into our heart and our life, we become a whole new creation because Almighty God makes a divine fiat over us that legally declares us to be just as if we had never sinned, and He completely takes away from us the record that we ever had sinned, and instead, he gives us the record that we are in Jesus Christ. That we are in Jesus Christ. And he declares us to be the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He declares us to be just as if we'd never sinned. And he declares us to be the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's not putting to our account our sin. He is putting to our account that we are now a new creation. And we are in Jesus Christ and we are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And legally, that is who we are. Now, experientially, day by day, we have to grow and mature in that, right? And so we got to change the way we talk. we got to change the way we think. we got to change our behavior. we got to change our attitudes. <clears throat> and that's growing. That's maturing. That is becoming daily growing and maturing 
the child of God. Just as that little baby you brought home from the hospital has to grow and mature day by day, year by year, into becoming an adulthood and a mature person that, that uh, we have to grow and mature in our life in Jesus Christ. But that is who we are. We have a whole new identity. But Romans 6.11 says, we must make the choice to embrace that new identity. Are you? Are you embracing that new identity? Do you see yourself as that's who you are? Or do you use the old DVD and the old images? And so you're still living in the condemnation of things you've done in the past. You're still identifying with, well, you know, <clears throat> my, you know, dad was an alcoholic. You know, mom was a drug addict. And, you, and you're, you're going by the old identity. You're going by the old identity. You're going by the old experiences. You're still living out of the old victimization. I was raped. I was molested. I was abused. I was verbally abused. I was physically abused. I grew up in foster homes, and those foster homes abused me. You know, and, and you're living by that old identity. Well, you know, you know Dean, I, uh, I, 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 I can't help it. I... And, and you're, you're still living, you know, Dad, Dad always said I'd never amount to anything. Dad always called me dumb and stupid, and I'm just proving to him that that's not what I am. And so you're a workaholic, and you're trying to find worth and meaning and purpose by your success in your career, but you're losing your family, you're losing your kids because you're living by an old identity. And Jesus says, I give you a new identity because I make you a whole new creation. Learning to live by that new identity. And it has to be more than just mental assent. It has to be something that you choose to embrace. And in choosing to embrace it, you change your self-image. You change the, your self-talk. You change the images you have of yourself. And you make the choice to no longer identify with the old man, but the new man. See, that's what he was saying in Romans 6, 3, 4, and 5, when he said, Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, being buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we certainly are also in the likeness of his resurrection. You must choose to see yourself as a whole new creation in Jesus Christ. And then you got to change your self-talk. you got to change your thought processes. You've got to change your self-image so that you see yourself, this is who I am. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. I am one with Christ, and Christ is one with with me. I am in solidarity with Jesus. And man, the strength that brings to you to live victorious over addictions, the strength that gives you to no longer live out of your victimization, the strength that gives to you to lay down bitterness and anger and resentment 
and unforgiveness. The strength that brings to you to be able to live with joy, with true peace, with assurance. To be able to live the blessed life that God says he wants you to live. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it doth he meditate day and night. That man shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, its leaves doth not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's the life God means for you to live. When Jesus said, I've come, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, he meant it. John 10.10. Go there, look that up. Because that's the life Jesus means for you to live. That's the life he has for you right now. So that brings us to a very, very important question. I have two questions for you. The first question is, have you ever received Jesus Christ into your life? Authentically received Jesus Christ into your life. Not just make a mental ascent. Not just have a foxhole conversion. But has there ever been a time when you genuinely said, Jesus, come into my life and you take charge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in you and through you. And you can live in me and through me. If you've never done that, you can do that right now. Have you done that maybe sometime in the past? Maybe when you were a kid and going to VBS or going to Sunday school, or maybe when you were a teenager at youth camp, and, but as you became a young adult and went into adulthood and family, you've walked away from it? And you need to come back? You need to come back to that? Because you're sure not living a blessed life right now. You need to come back to that. I'm saying to you, come back to that right now. In Jesus' name, you can. You can. You can pray this prayer with me. I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. You can pray this prayer with me. And then I'm going to ask you to do something. After we've prayed this prayer, I'm going to ask you, if you would, just, just in the comments section, just put down, I prayed. I prayed. And I'll know what you mean. I've got a Bible I'd like to send you. I've got... Uh, a discipleship book I'd like to send you. Now, if, if you're not comfortable making that in the comments section, then you can also send it by email or by, by, uh, by messenger to us at info at winacity.com. Info at winacity.com. You can email us there and just say, I prayed that prayer with Pastor Dean. And we'll make sure that you get a Bible and you get a discipleship manual. But pray with me right now. Would you join me in prayer? And pray this prayer with me right now. Repeat it with me where you're at right now. You repeat it with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the dead. And I believe when you died on the cross, you paid the penalty for my sin. 
and my life of sin was buried with you in the grave. I also believe when you rose from the dead, you made it possible for me to have a brand new life. And Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And Jesus, I ask you to come live in my heart. Take control of my life, Jesus. I want to live for you and I want to live in you. I receive you now, Jesus. Thank you for coming into my heart. Amen. And now let me pray for you. Father, for everyone that prayed that prayer with me, I pray, Holy Spirit, touch them by your mighty power. Touch them by your mighty power. And Lord, may they grow strong in you in Jesus' name. Give them faith to believe, Lord, and I thank you for that. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with me today in this study. Now, Pastor Jesse's coming in just a moment to share some very important information with you. But before he does, one more time, if you prayed that prayer with me, would you please, either by email at info at winnacity.com, just send an email and just say, I prayed that prayer, I received Jesus. I prayed that prayer, I came back to Jesus. Or in the comment section there, would you just write in the comment section, I prayed that prayer, I received Jesus. I'd like to get to you that Bible and that discipleship book. God bless you. Thanks for worshiping with me today. Pastor Jesse, come right on. I know you got some important information for him. Awesome. Thank you for the message this morning, Pastor Dean. I have a few announcements to make this morning. I just want to let you know that Living Faith Church pastors and office staff, we continue to pray for you. You can share your prayer requests right now by writing it in the comments section during this broadcast or by sending us a text message to Pastor Wanda or Donna or by even emailing us at info at winacity.com. That's at info at winacity.com. The prayers are shared with our pastors and also our intercessor ministry team. Pastor Dean would also like to call on all intercessors and all those who would like to join him in prayer at 7.30 a.m. every day to pray for our nation and to pray for revival. We're passionately seeking out God for a spiritual awakening in our nation and also that our church, Living Faith Church, would experience an authentic revival. Amen. So we just ask that you join us every day at 7.30 a.m. where you're at. Please join us for that. Also, all of our Wednesday studies on the book of Revelation have been uploaded on our YouTube channel. And not only that, but Discipleship 101 and our other resources. So you can find that at our YouTube channel at Living Faith Church Hermiston, Oregon. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please do so. 
that will help you get all the latest updates and new videos. And not only that, but that helps us to gain a number of viewers. And not only that, but it expands our community online. So please do, the, do that if you haven't already. Also keep in mind, uh, keep watch for Pastor Dean's Facebook Live videos throughout the week for words of encouragement and hope during this COVID-19 crisis. Please keep a watch out for that on Facebook. Also, please remind your students to join me every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. for Fusion Online through the Zoom app. Pastor Dean is also doing Wednesday night Bible study through the book of Revelation on Zoom, and he announces the meeting ID through Facebook and also through text message. The Lord granted King Solomon with superior wisdom and knowledge. And he also knew a thing or two about honor. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Amen to that. When we honor the Lord with our first portion of our income, when we do that, we are expressing our gratitude and honoring him as Lord over our lives. And when we do that, God's promise is, those who honor me, I will honor. Man, that is a great, amazing promise. Let us honor the Lord today by graciously giving to God's work and purposes. I also have an email that I wanted to share with you from one of our missionaries in Bosnia-Herzegovina, Pastor Dario Kapin. This is going to be a great word of encouragement. He writes, we hope you had a blessed and happy Easter. We do pray and hope that all of you are doing well. And if there are some special needs we can pray for, please let us know. By the help of our English brothers and sisters, we have been able to help people through the COVID-19 by purchasing groceries and other necessary items. Some are unbelievers and some are church members who don't have any job at the moment. All of them send greetings and are thankful for this help. Amen with that. We had a great Easter church service on Sunday and in spite of some people couldn't come, it was great. One new person came and we hope she will continue to come again. We really pray for each of you. And we know that we all together are facing hard times, but I'm glad we can put our faith in Jesus, who is bigger than any virus and any fear. Grace, love, and blessings, Dario. Amen to that. 
your faithfulness and giving tithe and offerings and mission offerings, you could see the impact you're making all the way across the world. That's amazing. There's three ways that you could send us an offering or mission offering. The first is by mail at P.O. Box 310, Hermiston, Oregon, 97838. Or by coming by our church office Monday through Thursday between 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Or by visiting our website at winacity.com. Click on the upper right-hand corner menu. There'll be a drop-down menu where you can click on give. And there you'll be taken to our giving portal. And you can also set up an auto draw. I just want to thank all of our church members and guests for worshiping with us today. We pray that it was an encouraging and meaningful experience for you. Have a blessed rest of your Sunday, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you.